Welcome to Talk Story, a podcast for the pilots of Hawaiian Airlines. A lot has happened in the last few weeks. Here in Hawaii, we're in the middle of our second shutdown during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, today, we have two special guests to help us get up to speed. Uh, please welcome uh, Hawaiian Airlines uh, MEC Secretary-Treasurer Captain Matthias Lundblad and Negotiating Committee Member First Officer Ethan Pearson Pomerantz. Hey, guys. Hey, how you doing, Sean? Hey, Sean. Thanks for having us. Well, it's uh, September the 8th right now, and the state is uh, positioned now to open on October 1st to, to visitors. Probably when this podcast comes out, it's going to be a whole other story. But I, I guess here at home, we've got uh, the vacancy uh, uh, displacement bid uh, happening upstairs today. Let's talk about that a little bit. So displacement, um, right. So 170 total listed initially when it came out, but that's been reduced by the peasels and easels. Uh, those guys will all be held, well, the easels will be held in excess. Um, the peasels will just be riding off into the sunset. Let's go back to the easel peasel, and let's just take a step back to the early days when we negotiated the uh, easel peasel. When we negotiated them as uh, a furlough mitigation tool. Ethan, can can you talk about how the concept of the easels and the peasels came up and what, what we used to guide our way through that those negotiations? Sure. As a furlough mitigation tool, the, their sole intent was to reduce furloughs. That's exactly what it is. Furloughs make financial sense to the company at a certain point. They're, they're sunk costs when you furlough a pilot. You have to downgrade people potentially, unless they're at the very bottom of the seniority list. And then when you bring them back, you've got to not necessarily upgrade to a captain, but upgrade people back into higher slots as you bring in the furloughees down at the bottom. So there are training costs, depending on the fleet and whether we have a sim here or sending people to Atlanta. Uh, there's different costs associated with each type of training event, whether it's a short one or a long one and you know, 330 versus a 717. And the company somehow has that all budgeted out in spreadsheets and they know that what the cost is going to be to furlough a pilot. And they, they are forced to pay that cost up front because the pilot's gone and the pilot's coming back. To offset those costs, there's savings because the pilot's not around. They're not paying them anything. There's no uh, insurance. There's no sick um, accrual or vacation accrual, anything like that. For each month, the pilot's gone. So somewhere there is a break-even point in the way they do the math, that if a pilot's only gone for, say, six months, the savings they get, doesn't equal the cost they have to pay with all the training. If a pilot's gone for a year, it probably doesn't equal out. Uh, if a pilot's gone for five years, it probably does equal out. So somewhere in there, there is a turnaround point. The thought was back in the late spring, early summer, that they were hoping it would be pretty short term, year or so. And because of that, it made sense for them to offer the longer term leaves the easels and retire guys out with the peasels to do that instead of paying the furlough cost because doing that they didn't have to train that was the excess pilots we talked about earlier that was the hope so when we negotiated we fully planned that they would offer if they were going to displace 170 pilots we hoped they'd offer 170 easels that was kind of how it was going to be uh, somewhere along the line the world shifted a little bit and i think their timeline for furlough might be a little bit longer now which is why they went back towards the smaller number of easels and just furloughing a larger number of guys instead. And that's just economics. That was, they they uh, projected a certain amount of furloughs and uh, lasting a certain amount of time, and that shifted around 
the midsummer where they forecasted longer furloughs and more of them. Yeah, I think, I don't know if they increased the number, but I think they increased the duration in their minds. And I think that was right about the time that the um, open Hawaii date moved from August 1st to somewhere in the future. I think that's probably about the time that happened, but I don't know. Uh, And it really is all crystal ball at this point. Um, They're making assumptions based on whatever research they can. I, I don't envy their finance people, that's for sure. It's a, and their, their planning people, it's a difficult thing to do. Ethan is, is talking about this out of a, a negotiation standpoint. Um, as the MEC, we represent. We represent the pilots. And the MEC's goal was, was fairly simple when we sent the uh, negotiating committee to the company to talk about this. It was to create opportunities to voluntary step aside so you can save somebody from an, an involuntary thing. The reason it exists is for the person that would have fallen off the bottom of the list. I think we talked about a pilot without a position. There's now one less pilot without a position because an easel is held in, in excess. And exactly what Ethan said, we gave the company the tools to offer as many as they liked. And that term, pilot without a position, is uh, exists in this latest vacancy uh, displacement bid. When you bid for a category, or when you bid and uh, there's not enough seats to hold that pilot, they land up in this pi- pilot without a position category. Yeah, it's kind of the, the game musical chairs. <laughs> yeah, we play the music, yeah. except that you get to sit down in seniority order. So it's not cha- chaotic sit down, it's it's you get to sit down in order. Um being a pilot without a position doesn't mean you're guaranteed to be furloughed. At the same time as having having a position on a vacancy doesn't guarantee you not being furloughed. The furlough notices are sent out to pilots with positions. Just to clarify one item in there, a pilot who has a category after this vacancy bid is awarded next week, or later this week, I guess, really, um, they would not be furloughed without another displacement in the future. So you you can't be furloughed when you hold a category. Uh, Just because you hold a category today doesn't mean the company won't plan on shrinking more in the future. Hopefully not, but it is a possibility. But it's not like you're just going to be flying the 7-1 one day and the next day you have a a furlough letter in your mailbox. It's There would be a displacement process first, then you would become a pilot without a position, and uh, then you would receive a letter. So, Matthias, let's talk about uh, displacement and furloughs when it comes uh, to our seniority list. Uh, very end of July, we had war notices sent out. What what do they mean, and what does uh, the PWA have in terms of uh, furlough protection for us? Okay, uh, let's start with the war notices. That's uh, federal law that requires a notification of, uh, of employees. Uh, and in our case, even the union received a letter saying, potentially in a certain amount of time uh, there could be this many people um, who would receive notice that they're no longer needed which is the the warn notice Uh, in our contract in the pwa we have additional protections with a 30-day notice for for furlough and then there is a timeline that goes on at that time they sent out 226 warn notices those warn notices were translated into furlough notices with a 30-day notice. From just a numbers point of view, the 226 is about 25% of our pilot group, roughly. Uh, when they actually came out with the displacement bid, 
that reduced the pilots by or the spots by 170. That's about I think 18 percent. So we went from the 26 percent to the 18 percent reality, uh, which would carry us into the furlough going forward. The first group got a notice of furlough on October 1st, but the remainder of that uh, 101 involuntarily furloughed pilots um, are still waiting on a furlough date. What's what's causing that difference in those two groups? Well, um, if looking at the outside, what I'm going to guess is if they keep cutting any deeper than that, they won't have any 717 and 321 FOs. So it, they cannot take you off the list until somebody else is trained into that position. So... The holdup is the ability to train and activate people. Of that bottom 71, I believe, that got uh, an October 1st letter, um, about 50 of them were in the bottom of their category. So there wasn't any, they wouldn't contribute to any training. Nobody flowed down on them. They were the most junior pilots in that airplane. Exactly. So that was kind of a a cut that could be made with no training, just a pure reduction. Uh, Anything above that, more senior than those bottom, I think it's about 50, uh, required some level of training to backfill those spaces. So let's just get the basics. If you were to cut a senior 330 pilot, you could trigger as many as three or four training events as a knock-on effect. You could cascade downwards or domino downwards very easily. A 330 captain that's displaced becomes a 321 captain. The bottom guy becomes a, three, a 717 captain who then becomes a 330 FO, becomes a 321 FO, becomes a 717 FO. Um, unlikely. It's right. more likely at some point that the maybe the 321 captain goes to a 330 FO, which triggers a 321 FO, which might trigger a 71 FO. But yeah, there, it is possible that you would have a massive cascade of training. It's like a game of Jenga where you pull the wrong block and everything starts falling out of place. While we're talking about training, uh, there's uh, some important uh, information pilots should know about being displaced and holding on to their uh, current category in terms of pay. Can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, the way the PWA reads and was backed up by a, um, actually Matthias would know, this was a settlement or an award from 19, uh, 20. 19. It's a settlement. It's, a it's settlement. an MOU, um, but it's on the back of, of awards too. But the latest one is a settlement written, written in an MOU. So there's the MOU that backs this up that basically says, if you don't volunteer to go to train when you're being displaced downward, you maintain your pay from your higher category until the effective date of the award or until you actually check out. So for us, remember, being activated means you complete SIM, you complete OE, and then you work a day of service for the company. So you fly a trip or you sit a day of reserve. Um, The effective date of this displacement, 2003, is May 1st. So if, and they're required to call pilots and offer them training slots in seniority order. So they're going to call the most senior pilot that's being displaced and say, hey, do you want to go to training in October? If the guy says, yes, I want to go, even though he's being pushed down to a lower category, whenever he checks out, he finishes OE and flies a trip, that is when his pay would start. But if he says, no, I don't want to go, I know I'm the most senior, there's guys junior to me, send somebody junior first, as long as he keeps saying no, as long as there's junior pilots, when it finally gets to him and he is the junior pilot, his pay in the lower category won't start until May 1st. So let's talk about the most junior pilot. 
eventually they'll get down to the most junior pilot because all the senior ones have said, no, thank you. And they say, hey, you're it. You got to go. Sorry, you don't have a choice. That's involuntary. Even though that pilot will be all checked out in the lower airplane by November sometime, they will keep the pay from the higher category all the way till May because they didn't volunteer to go train. Matthias, we passed uh, a resolution uh, about a month ago about the uh, involuntary pilot furlough fund. And let's talk about that. It's a, it's uh, funds health insurance up to 12 additional months on top of the company covers. The first time we started talking about it was actually in June this year. Um, over time, it, it got created and uh, the resolution got in front of the MEC and we passed it on to membership ratification. And right now we have, uh, we're about to open a bank account where the 1% pay will, will go into that bank account. And I'm expecting that process to either start late October or early November. The resolution says for 12 months and up to 1%. The fund is uh, used for reimbursements of the of the continued health care coverage that's allowed per our PWA. Uh, 24F16 talks about the first two months are paid for by the company after furlough. It's a pretty popular program amongst other uh, airlines where it, it allows uh, the membership to continue to cover health care for those who are on the street. Popular or not popular, it's the right thing to do. Right. And we saw uh, United did it, they did it very early. Uh, a lot of their guys before being out on the street, they started paying in, in 1% into it. Uh, we made a conscious decision in June that, hey, we don't know, so why would we put this forward? Not until we, we saw a clearer path did we do something about it. These are our f fellow pilots that... I, not by not a choice of their own, are out on the street. And this is one less thing they have to worry about for some time. Uh, if they get a new job or get covered another way, then that worry comes off them and they no longer will need this reimbursement. But if they do, uh, we're here for them. I made this point on one of the all-pilot calls is that it's, it's not necessarily the uh, money saved for a pilot who's been furloughed to continue their health insurance. It's the one less one less thing that they need to worry about. It's hard to find continued health insurance coverage. It's especially hard in the middle of a pandemic. And I, I feel like this was the right thing to do because it, it just gives uh, peace of mind to a, a furloughed pilot. Not only just one less thing to figure out, but it's a, it's a feel good thing too. And if you're singled out as, hey, you're suddenly not part of this pilot group anymore on a company point of view, even though from the pilot group point of view, they're still there, they're just not active. It's... It's a feel-good. It's a guys care enough to step up and help these guys out. It, it kind of leads into another area that um, is a little touchy sometimes about, you know, when, when guys are on furlough, is it okay to tell somebody, hey, don't pick up extra time or, you know, bid minimum or whatever it is. And part of that is an MEC decision. I don't want to put Matias on the spot on that one, although I'm sure personally he has opinions. I don't know if the MEC has taken a stand on this yet, but Many people have different views. At the end of the day, there's going to be guys out there that they always fly 105. They're going to keep flying 105. They, by seniority, can fly 105, and that's the way it is. The contract allows it. They're going to say, well, I can do it. If I wasn't allowed to do it, the contract would say I can't do it. And that's true. Um, it leads to a lot of frustration and anger among people, but 
it's the reality we're going to face and everybody's going to have to make their own decisions. We have the contract. The contract is for everybody. The contract has upper and lower limits. And those are the ones we, we stay within. And beyond that, I am pretty interested in numbers and pretty big numbers. Uh, one I ran a, a year ago is uh, if every pilot flew one less hour a month, we would create about 30 jobs. And the other side is true too. If you fly one more hour every month, the company would need 30 less pilots. That's a pure average. Sure. Uh, what one outlier does or doesn't do, that really has to be uh, up to them. The company sees us as one of the most united uh, working groups within the company. And we, so far during this pandemic, have been pretty excellent on working together. Just tell me how important that is to your working relationship with the company while the pilots remain united. I can go back to the last section six, um, which happened before a lot of these guys that are actually getting furloughed right now were on property, but it doesn't change things that we got to where we were because the pilot group was very united and a goal of getting a contract done. Um, taking that into now, a united pilot group that's about protecting jobs of all of our pilots or getting the ones back as quickly as we can. From a negotiating point of view, it's much easier to go into a room with company negotiators and say, yes, our pilots want this or our pilots will not do this or whatever it is and be able to mean it because we know if we're polling through people calling their MEC block reps or whatever it is, that that's the truth. It's difficult to go into the room and say, we want this or we're not going to do this. When the company turns around and goes, well, six guys called us last week and are just begging for this to happen. It takes away a lot of leverage we might have. And that's just from a negotiating point of view. That's not from a feel-good point of view or anything like that. That's just the, the, the way it works in the room there. From a emotional point of view, it's much better when everybody can be pulling along in the same direction. I think we are, are unified now. Um, but I'm not fooled to think that uh, some people have different ideas and there are other things out there. And, and we really encourage, write to us, tell us, tell us what's going on, tell us what you're thinking. Address it to hal-mec at alpa.org. That way all four block reps see it. At the end of the day, the four of us on the MEC, we represent you. Um, we go into a room. We have a bunch of hard decisions to make. Um, the opinion that comes out of there or the stance that come out, that's the MECs. It doesn't mean it's every single pilot's opinion or stance. It doesn't mean that it's every single block rep's exact position. But it's the one that once we sat down and were adults about it and talked it over, this is the direction we're going to take. All right, guys, just to wrap it up, uh, just tell us what's next for the MEC and uh, the future. I, I know it's early September and we can't predict the future, but what's in store for us in the coming months? Well, I, I think with the displacement bid coming out, we'll have some clarity and we have a, another point where we can pick a direction. The negotiating committee will get a chance to sit down with the company and, and, and talk about where both sides are and if there's something we can do going forward or if we stick with the, with the red book. Again, we want to create voluntary options so people aren't involuntarily forced to do something. Just speaking to the negotiation side of it, the, 
it's an ongoing process. It's not a binary thing where, okay, we did the best we could. We got the easels, we got the peasels. They're still going to furlough X number of guys and we're walking out the door. That's the end of it. Um, there's lots of solutions out there. It doesn't mean that they're going to work. It doesn't mean that both sides would agree to them, but you keep pushing them across the table and the company keeps pushing stuff across the table to us. And a lot of times we're going to roll our eyes at it, but every once in a while we get something and go, oh yeah, okay, let's take that to the MEC. Let's see what's going on. And likewise, we constantly are throwing things across the table to them. And I'm guessing most of it goes in the circular file, but every once in a while, one of them may push through. So it's not, you know, it's a scary time for anybody in the bottom part of the list. And frankly, it's a scary time for anybody on the list because how the company is going to move forward is, is not in question right now. I think financially they've said they're in okay shape, but we don't know what the future is going to bring at all. So anything we can do to make things better. And like Matias said, voluntarily, um, you know, I keep getting the questions. Oh, what about concessions? And no, they're, they're not on the table right now. We haven't talked about it. It's not something in, in our game plan right now. Um, but stuff that's voluntary that works out for all parties is things that we'll keep looking at and we'll keep trying to come up with solutions and whether it means reducing the number of furloughs, shortening the time of furlough, improving the quality of life, or who knows, but we're, we're keeping going on that in any way we can. And the MEC has been great about supporting that. Thanks guys for joining us. If you have a question for either Ethan or Matthias, you can reach out to them via Dart or send us an email at howcommunications at alpha.org. This has been Talk Story, a podcast for the pilots of Hawaiian Airlines. We'll see you next time. Aloha.